Welcome back, everybody, to the Rob Mina Show. It's good to be back with you again. As always, the comments are turned on, so uh, we've got a hot show today. Two big subjects, and it's an exclusive. Uh, with, uh, what is the truth about where Hunter Biden's laptop came from? And the second subject is fighting critical race theory at the Air Force Academy. Yeah, I said it. It's the Air Force Academy. Uh, first, Hunter Biden is lying, friends. There, I said it again, and I'm calling him out right here, right now. Hunter Biden is lying. He is absolutely lying, and we have the receipts. I know you've seen the fake news media interviews Hunter's been doing to release his book. It's coming out today. He is once again defaming the man who reported the contents of the laptop to the FBI by saying maybe the laptop was stolen or suggesting the laptop story was Russian disinformation, implying John Paul McIsaac, the owner of the computer repair shop who discovered the information on the laptop is a Russian agent. Hunter is also being backstopped by the FBI as you will see from the facts our guests will present today. Our second subject is the continued wokeism war on American culture and the US military. Today's guest is leading a project to stop critical race theory at the U.S. Air Force Academy. And that's right. You heard me right again. The Air Force Academy. If you saw the woke drivel coming from senior military leaders attacking a member of the media from their government accounts just weeks ago, you know this is a real problem. Our guest today was there and is willing to tell the truth about what happened and it is happening with each of these really important issues for our country. He's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy, a retired Air Force colonel who flew fighters and airlift, airlift aircraft. He's commanded numerous units to include combat operations. He ran the Air Force Operations Center at the Pentagon. That's the very top. Uh, he also served as principal scientist at a technical think tank working counterterrorism strategies and is a professor at several universities with a PhD in political science and public administration. Please welcome this public servant, Dr. Ron Scott, to the Rob Manus Show. Thanks, Rob. Ron, welcome, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for the great introduction. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you coming on. I know that you are a busy guy. And, uh, and man, uh, we've known each other for a while now, for at least a year, I think, since Dennis Haw introduced us uh, on a couple of Zoom calls and, uh, and podcasts and, and the like. But, you know, this information, when he started telling me what you knew about the Hunter, Hunter Biden laptop uh, and that issue, I was just absolutely shocked, sir, that it's not out there. And then when I read the background and did, and did my research for the show this week, I'm thinking to myself, what has happened to the United States of America? And my first question I think that uh, my viewers are going to want to know is, okay, Dr. Ron Scott, retired colonel, okay, who is this guy? What are, how are you involved in this Hunter Biden laptop story? Well, it turns out that John Paul, the shop owner, is my nephew. I married his father's sister, and I've known Steve for, what, since 1970, 50 years. Uh, his dad is a, is a patriot. Uh, he's a retired Air Force colonel. He's flown in combat. He's been with the CIA. So both of us have uh, worked with the intelligence community uh, during certain parts of our careers. And so to see this play out was not really totally surprising, but for it to be so close to home was a little surprising. Well, Ron, the, uh, take, take us through the timeline. I don't think people really understand what, what few people do actually know about the issue uh, they learned in November uh, with the New York Post article. But there is a whole timeline prior to that that goes back to 2019. Take the audience through uh, the timeline real quick on on what your family uh, and you are JP's uncle, JP McIsaac's uncle, 
both you and his dad are Air Force colonels, retired, have loads of national security and analysis experience and operational experience. So uh, I was surprised by the timeline that you passed to me on what y'all's activities were uh, with this laptop and, and what led up to that New York Post article in November of 2020. But this goes all the way back into 2019, doesn't it? That, that's correct. Yeah, uh, I, I came into the story in December of 2019, but the episode began in April, and that's when Hunter Biden brought three water-soaked Mac Pro laptops into JP's shop about 15 minutes before he was scheduled to close, and he took a quick look. One of them was damaged beyond repair. He handed it back to him. Another one had a couple of bad keys on the keyboard, and so he loaned him a keyboard. But the third laptop, a quick look said, it looks like he can retrieve the data, but he's gonna to have to keep it overnight uh, to make sure that the data is not corrupted or whatever, it, it would take a couple day process. And so Hunter signed his name, he registered with the shop. I mean, we've got documents with a signature on it. Uh, JP had completed the work and attempted to notify Hunter that his data had been retrieved and uh, please come in and pick it up. He didn't hear back from him for 90 days and by Delaware law, that property reverted to the shop owner. So JP had looked at some of the data as he was preserving it and discovered that there were some, let's say interesting things on the drive to include pornography. Yeah. And he wanted to protect the privacy of the of his client. So he didn't want to say anything to anybody about what he actually saw on the drive. But 90 days later now, based on what he did see, and now it's his property, he took a closer look and realized that what he was discovering on that drive was potentially criminal activity. And so he approached his dad about it, and his dad believed that they should turn it over to the FBI. And so around September, my brother-in-law approached the FBI in the Albuquerque office, and they, they, they treated him with tremendous disrespect uh, wow. and encouraged him to lawyer up. And so he left, and Steve had a, a copy of the hard drive that JP had made just to, to protect mm -hmm. himself. He made two copies, yeah. sent one to his dad. He sent it to me. So I had a copy of that drive in my home for several months uh, to protect it. Um, mm -hmm. So the FBI in the Wilmington office reaches out to Steve asking permission to meet with his son in Delaware. And he said, you know, by all means. So they show up in November and they're asking questions about child pornography. Did you see child pornography on the hard right. drive? And JP said he saw pornography, but you know, he wasn't gonna say whether it was child or not. And he was mostly concerned with uh, financial statements and that sort of thing. Yeah. So eventually in December, on the 9th of December, the FBI shows up with a subpoena to Let retrieve the laptop the and hard drive. This is 2019. This is not 2020, right? This is Correct. not the political uh, uh, for the presidential run. This is 2019 this happened. Exactly. So now we move into 2020 and the president is being impeached. And based on data that was on that drive, JP fully expected that the FBI would offer that evidence to the uh, to Congress as exculpatory material because there was a lot of stuff on there with Burisma. And you remember that the president was being impeached for a call he had made to the newly, newly elected president of Ukraine. And they never came forth with it. So he became concerned that perhaps the FBI was not going to be forthcoming about the evidence on the hard drive. So I started reaching out to investigative journalists. I won't mention their names because I still highly respect every single one of them that I reached out to, mm -hmm. but I couldn't, I couldn't get their attention. In May, I put together a document, sent it to Judicial Watch and also to Senator Ron Johnson's office with yeah. a copy of the redacted subpoena, encouraging them to, to look into this. Again, nothing. Mm -hmm. So it was finally August 
early September timeframe, I reached out to a good friend of mine. He's a retired Lieutenant General. We served together as action officers at a major command in the 1980s. I shared with him my involvement in the situation and he encouraged me to talk to his neighbor who had formerly been a Fox News reporter. And so we discussed it. He handed me off to a gentleman by the name of Ken LaCourt, who had been the executive vice president at Fox News under Roger Ailes for 20 years, but had mm -hmm. left Fox yeah. because they'd become risk averse. I sent some material to Ken. He looked at it, immediately called me, said this is explosive. There's no way Fox is going to break it. And I suggested at that point that he reach out to my nephew, who had by now uh, made contact with Rudy Giuliani and had sent his, his lawyer, a gentleman by the name of Costello, to pick up a copy of the hard drive that JP had made. And so with a matter of a couple of days or so, with that little exchange of information, the New York Post broke the story. And as you know, Twitter immediately censored it. Yeah, they did. Uh, and then Facebook tried to censor it too. Uh, they, yeah. they did. And I'll tell you, Rob, um, for your viewers, if, if they go to C-SPAN, there was testimony given in front of the uh, Senate Commerce, Science and Transportation Committee on the 28th of October. And testifying were the social media giants, Facebook, Google, and Twitter. And in that video, in that hearing, it's about three hours long or mm -hmm. so, at about the two hour and 28 minute point, that's when these CEOs start to admit that the FBI alerted them to be on the lookout for disinformation. And they were referring to this Hunter Biden hard drive. So- Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, let me stop you right there. They did what? The FBI alerted these social media giants to avoid, to be on the lookout for disinformation, misinformation related to the Hunter Biden hard drive. At this it's, point, this this is in uh, 2020, close to election correct. day, right? A week, uh, a week before the, election. A week before the election, before the New York Post article came out. And the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, is warning, they've had this laptop for what, a year? A year. Now? Right year because they had subpoenaed it back in way back in 2019, uh, as you said, and they are warning social media and the media that disinformation is coming out when they have the actual laptop with the facts on it. That's correct. Wow. Now there's no other expression for it. This was clearly a cover up. Yeah, you, you mentioned that to me in our conversations uh, that, that you have a list, and, and I know you have a list of facts. Run down through those facts for our audience. Uh, what are the facts that support that, that uh, theory? Uh, and I believe it. I agree with you. I've read those facts. So run those down real quick. I mean, it really ends with what you just said, where they right. warned the media. But, uh, but there's another, a whole set of facts associated with this. Uh, that this is an FBI cover-up. Right. These were the facts that I was relaying to, hopefully, parties that would be interested. The first one, Hunter's computer was checked in under a subpoena for money laundering. Mm. But the case uh, agent involved was the one that investigates child pornography, which, by the way, they've discovered on that hard drive. Uh, the other uh, fact is that... Nobody's ever reported that. No. They've only reported that it was it was subpoenaed for, you know, something else. Right. Exactly. For the other agent involved, uh, Agent Dzilak, D-Z-I-E-L-A-K, is a white crime specialist who was involved in this. He was the one that was supposed to work with JP, and he was not listed on any of the paperwork. And you mean but, white crimes like in white supremacism or white collar? No, crime. white collar crime, white, white collar crime. Okay. Another fact, the same week we reached out to Ken LaCourt and Rudy Giuliani and eventually Larry Johnson. Now you're going to see Larry Johnson in some reporting. Uh, and he was also a former CIA analyst. The, act, the FBI 
actively reached out to social media platforms to warn them of a major document dump of misinformation and to be prepared. And that was what led up to that C-SPAN testimony that I talked about that occurred on the 28th of October. Yeah. So I had concluded, based on what I was seeing play out, that this was clearly a cover-up. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I have come to that conclusion on my own, you know, on my own with my own set of facts. But, but the, yours, you know, the reality uh, of someone with firsthand knowledge of the timeline and, and, and what everything that's happened to JP with his dad and with you, and then the activities, the actions of the FBI, the social media oligarchs, the media itself, uh, really your facts uh, support all of that. Uh, and that this is really, truly an FBI cover-up. Uh, why do you think they're, I mean, I'm going to ask you an opinion question now, Ron. You've, you've been around a long time. You have a lot of experience. So why do you think they're trying to cover it up? Is it on the president's behalf or just to keep Hunter, you know, out of the limelight, although he's in, he's, he's willfully re-entering it now and calling your nephew, you know, uh, defaming him once again in public? That's a great question, Rob. And I've I've been trying to arrive at a, at a good answer to that kind of question. The only thing I can think of is that, you know, this is only one example of the corruption that has penetrated our institutions. And when we get ready for the next subject on critical race theory, I think for our viewers, and based on my own experiences, serving during the Cold War in West Germany, and I did uh, nuclear counterterrorism work and whatever, mm -hmm. our nation has been subjected to a very subtle and insidious infiltration of our institutions, a Marxist, neo-Marxist ideology. And it, it resonates around power, political power. And so uh, we're seeing that right now in examples like the Hunter Biden drive. It's, you know, this, it does not, this does not comport with their narrative in the narrative they want Americans to believe. And so they have to suppress it. They have to uh, diminish it by suggesting that my nephew was a Russian agent or that he stole the, the material, you know, anything to diminish his credibility. Yeah. And what makes us a story today, Ron, is that Hunter Biden, I just watched excerpts of it again this morning is actually out there defaming your nephew again and denying even that this laptop might even be his. Uh, right. And I know I've seen the receipts. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the actual paper copies of them. Right. I've seen the photocopies of the receipt. It's his signature. Uh, you know, his, his lawyers, uh, didn't the, his lawyers come to the shop uh, to try to get the laptop at they some did. point or another? Yep, they did. They, they contacted him. They wanted to get the, the laptop and the hard drive back. And JP said, well, you'll have to talk to the FBI. They have it in their hands. So Biden's lying. Uh, and, uh, and I know you guys know what's on the hard drive. Uh, how many copies of that hard drive are there out there that you know of from, from the work that you all did to get it out in public? It, it's hard to say because there have been duplicate copies made. Originally, there were two copies. JP had one. I had one. Uh, mine is now with his lawyer. But JP has uh, offered the one that he had to an individual by the name of Yakov Applebaum, who works for his lawyer. And uh, Yakov uh, has a company called XR Vision. And, and he's been in the news. Yakov is almost like a librarian now with that hard drive. He is posted a lot of material from the hard drive to to get the story out and the significance of the material on that hard drive yeah the uh the uh i'm posting comments as we talk uh on our screen so the viewers can you know everybody across the channels can see what's going on on the show uh and the corruption is deep uh, uh but we can help too uh, I know God can help us, uh, maybe the only one that can help us from what this one viewer has said in a comment, but, but we can help too. And this is part of it, getting the word out, you know, with today's technology, we can keep talking about it. And I'm going to publish the show uh, and those kind of things, because we've got to get the truth out. And 
is there another re is there another or is there any indication the president of the united states biden uh, uh was involved you mentioned that barisma is mentioned on the hard drive uh uh is there anything on there that directly speaks to his activities at all a absolutely big guy yeah, he's big guy. he's been directly involved in fact there was an outfit by the name of blue star strategies that mm -hmm. essentially prepared the vice president for his trip to ukraine but yet you know he's a, a indicated in the news and public forums that he had no idea what was going on well he was he was in the loop on it so who is blue star strategies blue star strategies is a uh it's a consulting firm that uh that they brought in to prepare his visit to ukraine uh, and yakov has published some of that material on his website on his blog uh, but and i'm not really prepared to get into the details here but probably the the more egregious part of this whole thing is the connection to china and you know there was a uh, individual a while back a, a navy lieutenant who was brought in in the loop to be the ceo for a, a company that they were forming which was connected to the 1.5 billion dollars that that chinese bank had uh, had uh, invested and when he realized what was going on, he he finally decided, and it was based on material that came out from uh, uh, Fox News on one of the Hunter Biden emails. He and his name was implicated. He realized I better I better I better uh, disconnect from this and go public with my involvement. But his story was pretty quickly suppressed as well. Yeah, I mean it was out there for. Uh maybe a few minutes uh but uh you know it was suppressed and uh uh you know the big people in the media uh, tried to make it look like he was some kind of nut job uh, i'll just say it uh, but he's not uh he, you know he comes across as very uh very professional and uh well uh you know well poised to tell the truth and he wants to tell the truth. Uh, and the same thing is happening to your nephew and anybody that tries to get the truth out. Uh, and it's not just the political organization that's doing it. It's our government uh, and the media, you know, the, the leftist media, which is the majority of the media in this country, uh, who are basically just a tool of, of the, the current administration and the Democrat Party, in my opinion. Uh, exactly right. Rob, and I'll tell you, the uh, Media Research Center polled 1,750 actual Biden voters on a number of issues. This was after the election. And they had several listed here, but one of those, the Hunter Biden scandal, 45.1% of those individuals that voted for uh, Joe Biden had no knowledge about the Hunter Biden scandal. Had they known of it, about it, 9.4% would not have voted for Joe Biden. And they've got several examples here, but uh, they totaled up to about 17% of those voters would not have voted for Joe Biden. And he won by a margin of six percentage points. So the media played a huge role in in the public narrative here. Yeah, and I know folks that they're, uh, you know, a lot of us don't think the election was fair. Uh, so that 6% six per six number, I know, I know, I know a lot of folks are going to go, hey, wait a minute, he didn't really win. And, and you know what? I think the election was rigged against us, uh, not just Trump, but us, the American people, myself. Uh, uh, but apparently the laws allow for it because we haven't been able to get anybody in court and get them tried. Uh, so that's where we're at. And, uh, and the guy would not have won. He would not have been able to pull it off had the truth been out there. Uh, and the, the censorship and suppression of information uh, goes to uh, the very basic function of a country like the United States. And the, base, the basic foundation that makes us as successful as we are is the freedom of information and the ability to find out the truth. Uh, it, in spite of all of the, the rhetoric and propaganda out there, right, Ron? Yeah, exactly. Right on.
and, and people are probably wondering why we link two subjects together today, the Hunter Biden laptop, and I'm just gonna say it, Biden's a liar. The President of the United States is a liar about this issue and about his business dealings with China and the Ukraine. And we need to get the facts out and shame on you FBI agents that are not whistleblowing on this. Shame on you. You should resign now or go into retirement before you get caught red-handed and lose your retirement because you should. Shame on you because no person should be protected. I don't care if their name's Trump, Biden, Obama, Kennedy, whatever. Nobody should ever be protected from the law. Uh, but the second issue is linked to this, this concern and really critical uh, uh, spinning out of control culture war that we have happening right now with wokeism. That's what I call it, wokeism, uh, the, uh, the use of, of racism to attack everybody. And, uh, and retired Colonel Scott is, uh, is also directly involved with a project to stop critical race theory and wokeism from continuing to hurt our officer leaders being developed at the United States Air Force Academy. And he's a graduate of the Academy and a member of the Alumni Association. Uh, so let's transition to that. And the reason why they're linked is it's not just the censorship, but it's an ideological issue. And when I say ideological issue, folks, those of us that fought against the communist Soviet Union and continued to fight against the communist Chinese understand the subversive nature of, uh, of common infiltration uh, and what it really means. Not the, the crazy stuff you've heard about, but the real intelligence and counterintelligence efforts that end up using people that are called useful idiots. Uh, and Colonel Scott is a direct witness and is actively engaged and involved in making sure that our future military leaders in the United States Air Force are not are not infiltrated with this types of neo-Marxism that we've discussed about before. Tell us what happened last year, Ron, at the Air Force Academy with the football team and the coaches last summer when all of this Black Lives Matter thing was blowing up. Well, first of all, I, I my wife. Mary and I live in Monument, Colorado, so we're seven miles from the Air Force Academy. So you can imagine being so close to it, we're pretty aligned with what's going on. I received a call from a classmate on the 7th of July asking me if I was aware of a video that the Air Force Academy football coaches had published, and I had not. I went to the Colorado Springs Gazette where they had a link to it. The video was three minutes long. Uh, seven times they mentioned in an angry tone, Black Lives Matter. And in between, they listed what they believed were cases of racial injustice in America. And the examples they used were redlining, Jim Crow laws, mass incarceration. Uh, I think I mentioned redlining, uh, racial profiling, and uh, police brutality. So there are about five different categories. Well, yeah. two of them are complicated, the mass incarceration and redlining, because there is a residual effect of both of those today in America. But Jim Crow laws yeah. went away in the 1960s. Racial profiling is illegal, and police brutality is completely distorted and misrepresented in the, in the public narrative. The uh, and so we tried to point this out to the leadership there, and it took until two weeks ago for that video to come down. Uh, there was a desire not to take it down until a new video had been produced. And once that new video came out, and the theme was dignity and respect, uh, and it was a short video, about three minutes, uh, mm -hmm. a lot better uh, in its tone. But as, as I pointed out to the group that I'm with here, it still uses what's called Aesopian language, as in Aesop's fables, where there's two levels of uh, communication. There's one for the public community, mm -hmm. 
their consumption. And then there's one uh, for those that are manipulating the narrative and uh, implications from that. So dignity and respect sounds good, and we should all embrace that as uh, ideals. But to come up with a video emphasizing that as a theme implies that we have a problem with dignity and respect. And that problem is rooted in systemic racism. So it, it's, it's complicated uh, to a lot of people that don't take the time to really investigate what's happening. Uh, they don't see it. And so that's what we've been trying to point out to them, that their notion of, of systemic racism and it's the ideology behind it is called critical race theory. Uh, right. Critical race theory stems from another theory called critical theory, which was advanced in the 1930s by German scholars that came to America from Nazi Germany. Uh, they were part of the Frankfurt School, which was putting a happy face on Marxism. So they shifted the theory from an economic struggle between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat and made it more of a racial struggle. And then, of course, they've got other categories as well that we call uh, um, identity groups. So it's, it's designed to divide people, not unify them. And what makes it so dangerous for our military is that we are training these individuals, regardless of race, color, creed, mm -hmm. to, to fight for America and what it stands for. And this whole movement really puts people into two major categories, those that, that believe in the original idea of America and those that don't. And those that don't have become anti-America. And so we have this tremendous Marxist infiltration of our institutions, the service academies, but it's Department of Defense wide. It's across our federal agencies. Uh, we have diversity and inclusion officers in all of our federal agencies. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's institutionalized a notion of racism in America. And it, it's just yeah. not good. You mentioned an anecdote about an incident with uh, Coach DeBerry the longtime football coach of the Force Academy football program. Tell right. The audience and about that anecdote. That's part of the story, really. Uh, it, it is. Uh, in, in 2005, uh, Coach Fisher DeBerry, a great coach, um, he was asked at a press conference following a you know, pretty healthy loss against Texas Christian University. You know, what happened, Coach? And Fisher DeBerry said, well, if you notice, the other team has uh, more African-American players. And anthropologically, African-American players can run faster and jump higher. They've just been trained over the years to have that increased capacity. And he was trying to be uh, gentle in that, but he didn't want to say that because of redlining, remember that was one of the five issues brought up by the coaches, yeah. Because of redlining, a lot of these players can't meet the academic standards because they, they attend substandard schools. And so it was really difficult for Fisher to address that question uh, without becoming politically incorrect. And so he was reprimanded for that by the superintendent at the time uh, for being inartful in how he answered that question. But in reality, he was explaining that was a residual effect of redlining. Uh, what what was they, redlining from, from the civilian perspective, Ron? Explain that to the audience real quick. Redlining was introduced uh, in the 1930s as a means of identifying communities that were uh, uh, risky for home loans. And they tended to be the poor neighborhoods. So they had red lines around them. So if a resident from an area that was redlined with a red line around their suburb or their area of a town, then lenders would not lend them money uh, for, to purchase a home. So it was called redlining. But as a consequence, that's also how school districts were organized. And so if you were in a redlined area, you went to a school district that was not as resourced as other schools. And 
a lot of the children attending those schools just did not, they dropped out and they, they just didn't uh, develop academically. And so we had that residual effect. We have it even today. Yeah, I mean, there's another, uh, I think DeBerry was onto something. I think he was probably an artful in how he said it. I, I'll be honest, I don't know his exact words, but you know, when, when I was uh, 59 now, so when I was a squadron commander, I was in my 40s. And uh, a friend of mine who had been my commander twice before was an academy recruiter uh, at one point, and I and and we were getting uh, we were getting hammered. The Air Force was uh, uh, because you know the the numbers, the demographic numbers, aren't representative, especially in the officer corps and the flying units uh, of what America looked like then, and probably it's probably even worse now. And, and I just asked. Uh, my friend, I, I said, what's the deal? You know, because you could look at the Air Force Academy class and see that, that even there, uh, the issue was readily apparent. And, and one of the issues at that point, so this would have been in the uh, 90s, uh, and, and I think he was being very honest and open with me, was that, was that look, we can't compete with other schools uh, that are given football scholarships, that so these guys are going to go pro. That's part of what the issue was, and they really didn't want to, they, they didn't want to, you know, spend their time doing that. They, they had other ambitions in life. So I think that's a part of, uh, you think that this redlining uh, that, that coming from bad schools is still hampering kids from the African-American demographic, it's, you know, and other poverty uh, stricken families from meeting the academic standards? Are we still there or have we done anything that's helped that? Ab absolutely, we're still there. And that's that's uh, part of the narrative that gets distorted. You know, mm -hmm. for instance, police brutality. Uh, when you look at the actual statistics, a lot of it is uh, aligned with this redlining concept that we've had since the 1930s. And, you know, inner cities, for instance, uh, the black-on-black -black homicides is is unbelievable. Uh, now, the progressive uh, Brennan Center for Law uh, has come out with a report that says there's been a 500% increase in mass incarcerations over the last 40 years. Well, that coincides with the Great Society initiatives that were pushed by President Lyndon Johnson in those days. Well-intended, but what they did they took intact families that uh, prior to that time were about 85% mother and father to today where 80% of children in these inner cities have no father. 80% are fatherless. And so a lot of these boys are not getting the, the fatherly coaching, mentoring that they need to give them rules and an opportunity to compete and operate in the broader society. And so, and that was a progressive center that, that mm -hmm. came up with that statistics. And it's tied to redlining, uh, inner cities. You know, we've had these inner cities. It's, it's basically a modern plantation for a lot of these folks, uh, which, yeah, folks which is unfortunate. Folks don't want to hear terminology like, like that, Ron. But, it, I mean, it's just, the, it's just what it looked like, you know. Right. People that try to use terms like plantation to, to, as a descriptor to bring folks to reality, you know, and uh, uh, we kind of got a little bit sidetracked, but what's the bottom line at the Air Force Academy, though? I mean, the, the superintendent, I think in 2008, one of the superintendents said there is systemic racism there. Correct. I'm still in the Air Force in 2008. I was a uh, uh, vice wing commander and later became a wing commander, and, and I can't tell you how many uh, uh, how many policy documents about no tolerance of discrimination of any kind whatsoever I signed and not just signed, but implemented and supported the policy because that's what most people in the military believe, I think. And the few that don't end up getting out somehow. Uh, exactly. You know, well, it, it's, uh, you're, you're right, Rob. Uh, in this past summer, I filed a FOIA request uh, with three simple questions. Over the last 15 years, how many racial discrimination complaints have been filed per year? 
Mm. Number two, of those complaints filed, how many violated our zero, zero tolerance policies? And number three, of those validated, what was the nature of accountability or discipline? It took five months to get an answer. And all it was was yeah. aggregated data. Uh, it, it did not answer any of the three questions. The best I could figure out, it was over a 14-year period, there were 55 discrimination complaints filed. Now, that was not racial discrimination. That was mm. discrimination. And so when you look at the categories that they list discrimination under, there's 10 different categories, racial being one of them, one of 10. And so when you looked at uh, the supporting documents, the raw spreadsheets and whatever, there were a lot of complaints filed in categories of age and pregnancy, disability, uh, religion. And so even worse case had those 55 complaints over the 14 year period been racial, that would have been less than four per year. Yeah. Which, which does not sound like systemic racism. Um, now I, I'm not saying racism doesn't exist. I know it does. Of course not. And, it, and it's unfortunate. It right. Yeah. But to claim systemic racism feeds into a narrative that is um, false, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, the, the country, it, this is my opinion, uh, from a military service perspective, I, I spent 32 plus years uh, as enlisted an officer in the Air Force myself. My dad was enlisted. Uh, I have a brother that was enlisted in the Air Force. And, uh, you know, from our family's perspective, uh, we've seen nothing but constant improvement. And by the time I retired, uh, I was a wing commander at Albuquerque, New Mexico, in Kirtland Air Force Base. I mean, I mean, there was ever an issue with it. It was identified right away uh, and dealt with. I mean, you, you just deal with that because it's just not something that's conducive to teamwork under fire. You know, I mean, the, the men and women in the U.S. military uh, have to be confident in, in each other under fire. And, uh, you know, you've been there. I've been there. Uh, most of my friends... Uh, uh, and relatives that were in the military have been there and nobody would ever, and, and I, and I come from a very strong old, uh, you know, uh, uh, working poor, uh, Southern family, Southerners, they're Southerners, you know, and, and a lot of them in the military, they would never, ever not do the right thing based on somebody's skin color or the fact they were a woman or whatever. I mean, it, it's just not the way those people were. Uh, and, and certainly not in the 21st century, the, my colleagues that I worked with and that, uh, that I had the pleasure of leading. It just, it just didn't happen very frequently. And when it did, it was dealt with immediately once it was identified. Uh, and, and the tools that you have available are, are extensive on how to deal with things like that. So right. it just... Uh, what troubles me is that it's this constant drumbeat today uh, that's getting it now getting it's been in our society and our culture in it, but it's now getting into the military. And you saw it when the people in the Marine Corps and other leaders, senior leaders in the military attacked Tucker Carlson a few weeks ago from their government accounts because uh, they didn't like what he said about women in the military, even though they completely misconstrued uh, what he said and listened to the propaganda the media put out about it instead of actually going to the to the segment and listening to it but what startled me was they they used their official accounts and their official position and they were in uniform and and that is troubling to me and then to hear that this is now at, at our service academies uh and, and people are being indoctrinated with the wrong focus from the very beginning that are officers in the military, it's very concerning. What are you guys doing about it? Well, it's a great question, Rob. Uh, I'm with a group called Stand Against Racism and Radicalism in the Services. It's an ad hoc group right now, but mm -hmm. uh, we're moving towards getting it more formalized. Uh, we were effective in getting the old video taken down, the football coach video with this new video, even though it has uses Aesopian language. Uh, we're working with Congress and media. I mean, you know, you're helping us in this regard. 
so we've got really tactical, operational, and strategic levels that we're working on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're collaborating now with graduates from West Point and uh, the Naval Academy. And really, the, the thrust is more educational than anything else. And, and to let people know how dangerous critical race theory is, especially for a country like ours that was founded on individual liberty and freedom and the, you know, the First Amendment and those sorts of things. This is coercive. It's, it's forcing people into uh, ideological positions that are not consistent with our constitutional republic. And as I mentioned earlier, it's insidious. And so the more we can be aware of it, the more we can uh, check it, call it out and check it, that's uh, going to keep us, I think, safe as a country. Otherwise, we're going to cross the Rubicon and we'll be a vassal state of China. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, critical race theory, uh, the, core, the core concept of that is that, is that people of your skin color and I, our skin color, to correct me if I'm wrong, but the core concept of that is that I have to acknowledge that, uh, that everything I do from the moment, even when I'm sleeping, uh, is systemically racist because of the color of my skin. Uh, the way I've read the books that I've read on it and the articles that I've read on it, uh, not from people that are oppose it, but from the actual people that push this, that that's what I got. The, the, the core concept that I get from critical race theory. And, and that's just not compatible with the United States of America. It's not. Uh, those that, that are pushing critical race theory say we should be anti-racist. But what anti-racist translates to is anti-white. And there's a scale there. And if you're old and male, you're probably at the highest end of that scale of being anti-white. Uh, yeah. You know, we had a former superintendent, I won't mention how recent or how long ago, that referred to all white males. Uh, we chuckle when, when that person used that expression, but it's, it, it's very subtle. And so we learned very early in our effort that, that to say we're anti-racist plays into their, their narrative. It means we're anti-white. Uh, we've been saying, no, we are against racism. Yeah, not we are. anti-racism. And it occurs from both ends of the spectrum. Now, a lot of people say if you're black, you can't be racist. You can only be an oppressed. Uh, and that's that's why the anti-racism again it's an Aesopian expression, but it, it basically means if you're anti-racist, you're anti-white because whites oppress. Well, I spent my life in organizations that were not anti-anything based on skin color; they were pro-performance and uh, getting the mission done, which is to, you know, in our case, fly, fight, and win for the United States of America. Uh, you know, it, 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 that that concept is just not compatible with maintaining those teams. It's those not. Military, it's just not compatible. And I think you see it starting to come apart at the seams. Uh, uh, Dr. Scott, go into a little bit about the ideological parts of this to show people, you know, why this is domestic enemy number one. It's not white supremacism. It's not. It's not anarchism, anti-government people, uh, but this, this, uh, this, this attempt to divide us in such a way that we cannot be teammates. We cannot be teammates uh, in anything if we continue down this path. Why is that domestic enemy number one? Well, it's, um, it's, it's, it's weird sometimes to, to take a look at it. On the surface, you're thinking, well, this makes sense. I mean, these people are looking for justice, but, uh, but it's not. Uh, in fact, I shared with the superintendent a couple weeks ago, and I know this was probably not easy for him to, to hear, but what we're, what we're dealing with is classic propaganda. Uh, and I, I, I shared with him, I said, you know, the proposition of systemic racism lacks evidence. The deliberate advancement of narratives that are not clearly supported by evidence is called 
propaganda. Such a scheme is not new. Here is an excerpt about propaganda already published in the 1920s. Quote, propaganda must not investigate the truth objectively. And insofar as it is favorable to the other side, present it according to the theoretical rules of justice. So we talk about social justice all the time. Yet it must present only that aspect of the truth, which is favorable to its own side. And, and the person that advanced that axiom that is being used by a lot of the people push, pushing critical race theory was Adolf Hitler in his book, Mein Kampf. Hitler understood very clearly the role propaganda plays. And it, again, it's based on the theory of justice. So when you can put people in different classes and they are opposing classes, it just sets things up for uh, conflict. It does. It does. One of the reasons why I'm concerned with what's happened post January 6th with uh, Trump supporters, you know, uh, I mean, none of us support violent overthrow of the U.S. government. I don't believe that's what happened on January 6th. I think they, we had a riot uh, from, from some people that were not doing the right thing. Uh, and a whole bunch of other people got caught up in it by going into the building, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but we also had some terrorist activity that day or the day before with two got two folks, you know, two pipe bombs being planted at the RNC and DNC headquarters. So, so it's a mixture of things. But my point with that is, is that the, the structure, the power of the United States government and the Democrat party, and some even Republicans have said, oh, if you were a Trump supporter, you voted for Donald Trump, you're part of this group uh, and you're domestic enemy number one. And all that does, in my opinion, is, is it, it falls into and aligns with what we're talking about here because it's intended to divide you away, to separate you know, people away from people like me and you uh, who, I mean, we've spent decades serving our country, lost friends, lost family members, risked our own lives, you know, our families have sacrificed. Uh, you know, I don't care if somebody's black, yellow, red, white, uh, what their gender choice is. I don't care about any of that stuff. What I care about is that we're all Americans and we all believe that, uh, you know, uh, that we're Americans and we're going to fight for each other, not against each other. But this whole idea uh, and what we've seen happening in practice since January 6th uh, is, is just an overdrive effort to split us up as a people. Uh, and, and that really, really concerns folks that I talk to out there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really bad. <laughs> I mean, once you kind of get a feel for what critical race theory is, what it stands for, and we see a lot of the division going on in our society today, they're they're winning and and they will ultimately win if if we don't call it out uh you know bob woodson and the woodson center is doing great work uh, mm. you know he's been leading up that 1776 project to counter the 1619 project that the new york times has basically sponsored and uh the 1619 project is working its way uh, across our nation in into the different schools yeah. Uh, my own daughter is a teacher and, you know, she has to be very careful because obviously she works in an environment where, you know, there's like a litmus test in terms of where you are in the political spectrum. And, and she's concerned about uh, a lot of the stuff that's working its way into the school curricula. Yeah. Yeah. And one of our viewers just commented to, to me that this all started long before January 6th. I know it did. Uh, I just was pointing that out because you can now see it visibly in your government uh, and what it's doing. Uh, and, and that is why that's a key date uh, since then. And we've got to figure out a way to hold people accountable for their actions uh, and re-resurrect -re -resur our system of fair law and order. Uh, which we're not getting. I mean, I don't know if you all saw it or not, but the, the teenagers that killed Muhammad Anwar uh, by trying to take his car from him and uh, everything in Washington, D.C. have a plea deal where they're not even going to be incarcerated in, uh, past 21 years of age. And, it, and wherever they're going to be held, it's not going to be a prison. Uh, 
so and they murdered the guy in broad daylight. Uh, that's not justice, okay? Uh, uh, and it's also not justice if you're accused of being a domestic terrorist because you trespassed uh, like hundreds of thousands, millions of Americans have done in protest. Uh, so, you know, but what we're seeing for, with the beginning uh, on January 6th is a visible expression of that government power. And that is wrong here in the United States of America. And, and, and Dr. Scott, you're right. I mean, if we have to address it uh, by calling it out everywhere, all the time, every single time, no matter how many times you get called a racist, don't we? Uh, and Rob, I will tell you, for me, to cut to the chase, what was it that defined us as a nation? Our Declaration of Independence. It was the yeah. moral justification for who we are as a country, as a nation. Yeah. And it talked about inalienable rights that were given to us by a creator, not a government. Yeah. And then the Constitution codified that system of government, of self-governance, we the people. And we have abdicated our responsibility in that regard. And so when there's a vacuum, it's going to get filled, which, you know, we had a, a presidential uh, campaign slogan that said a battle for the soul of our nation. And we're, we're witnessing it right now. Oh, yeah. It's been going on for a long time, and we're, but we're definitely seeing it out in the open. It's no longer behind the scenes, uh, you know. Uh, a lot of folks are not happy with the way the election turned out. I'm not either. Uh, and, and the opposition is so uh, so emboldened that they actually printed an article in Time Magazine, I believe it was, about how they fortified the dang election by using all of these efforts to keep the message out, uh, which gets us right back to Hunter Biden's laptop. Uh, and some of, some of our viewers, uh, we have viewers from both sides of the aisle here, Ron, and uh, uh, you know, and a couple of them have said, well, leave them alone. Leave the Bidens alone. Uh, you can't hold President Biden responsible for what his kids did and all that. Well, sorry, folks, but, you know, if this person's name was Trump or Kennedy or whatever, and we had the evidence that we have on this laptop about child pornography and uh, drugs and, uh, and uh, potential intelligence uh, and national security implications with our adversaries, Russia and China, our main adversary, China, uh, and uh, I'd be calling for the same thing. And I think Colonel Scott would too. Uh, our political affiliation and party affiliation really is makes no difference in this situation, does it? You know, we lost Ron for a second there, but he's back. Uh, we left I, off with our, our political affiliation, Ron. Right. I, I, I remind people that while my views are considered conservative, uh, I'm actually a classical liberal. A lot of people forget what a classical liberal was. It's it's not today's liberal. <laughs> no. No, no and, I, and I have uh, uh, both campaigned on and worked on things like criminal justice reform, uh, uh, and, uh, and some, some, what some people call libertarian type things like, uh, medical marijuana, uh, and those kind of things to the chagrin of, of a lot of conserv so-called conservatives. But, uh, that's because I'm a classical liberal myself. Uh, if you go look up the term, folks, don't, uh, uh, don't freak out. Uh, uh, and I call it what Dennis Haw calls it. Uh, I don't call what I, what I, what I believe in America first, although I like America first policies that Mr. Trump was implementing because they had the first rise in, in uh, working people's wages in 40 years. Oh my God, you know, the lowest unemployment for persons of color uh, ever, you know, uh, I, I, it still stuns me that it was all thrown away because of mean tweets or something crazy like that. Uh, uh, but I mean, so, we're Americanists. We believe in America. Amen. What it stands yes. for. The people that go fight for the Constitution of the United States and die for it uh, were fighting for Americanism. They weren't fighting for Republicanism or Democratism or whatever other ism that's out there. It's Americans. Uh, right. And that's what we are. Uh, and, uh, you know, 
Uh, Joe Biden was right about one thing in his campaign. There is no such thing as a red and blue America. You know, and he stole a line from one of my political speeches that I, the, and the line was simply this. Look, I flew over the United States for over 25 years uh, and I saw a red and blue state. I only saw the red, white, and blue of the United States of America. Uh, and that's the kind of thinking that we need uh, in, as opposed to what we're seeing. And that's why we have to stand up and call it out. Am I wrong? No, you are right, Rob. And, and what are we willing to die for? And what I would encourage you and, and the folks that are listening, go on Google and look up American cemeteries across Europe uh, following the Second World War. And what you will find are crosses and stars of David that represented the, the demographics of our nation that defeated fascism in the Second World War. We didn't defeat communism. We weren't really aware of it at the time. But uh, right now it's a com combination of fascism and communism that threatens our nation because they're both rooted in Marxism. Yeah, they are. I see them as aligning and combining together into something that's different. You can't call it all one or the other. Uh, it's uh, uh, it's something that's different that really has no name yet, but it's a system and form of government that is taking your liberty and destroying it uh, every minute that you don't stand up and call it out and work against it. And I'm talking about us citizens, folks. Uh, don't stand by. Uh, I see one comment. Uh, we can't stand by and wait for something to happen. It's on us. Uh, you know, I got. I have to go vote today. I have an election day here, uh, so my work day is going to be cut short as short as I can and get to the polls. Uh, but that's not the only thing you should be doing. Uh, do things like what Colonel Scott's doing uh, and his colleagues. Uh, do things like what I'm doing, encouraging people and teaching people to call their state legislature. Know your constitution. The constitution gives power to the states and the people more than any other groups. You know, the federal power is not given freely in the United States Constitution. It's time for us to roll back this overbearing, overpowerful bureaucracy and, uh, and, and all-powerful central government and get it back into the constitutional container. But only we can do that. The people in Washington aren't going to do that for us, are they? Yeah. Yeah. It's nope. on us. Well, sir, thank you very much. We appreciate it. And folks out there, uh, this was Dr. Ron Scott. How can folks find you on social media? I know you've got a website. I have a, uh, I have a blog. Uh, it's called Gadfly Corner. Uh, it's uh, www.blogspot or gadflycorner.blogspot.com. Uh, you can also send me an email if you want. It's oldgadfly at gmail.com. Uh, okay. And I am on Facebook as, as Ron Scott. Uh, I'm not disguised. Uh, my ugly mug <laughs> and uh, my name, Ron Scott. So, Well, Google's, uh, Google and other search engines are wonderful things these days. Uh, you can find it. Uh, just like you can find me. Uh, at robmanus.com and all the other places. Uh, well, sir, thank you very much for spending time with us and continuing to highlight these truths. And, and, and we make this promise to you and our audiences that we will continue to put this out there regardless of the cost. And so far, putting the truth out has cost me personally uh, uh, probably fifty dollars or $60,000 in revenue because of the censorship and restrictions that organizations like Facebook have put on us in the last eight months. Uh, since September of last year. Uh, but it's because we put the facts out and the truth out and, and let people make their minds up uh, instead of calling something false or true or whatever. We put the facts out that we know uh, because the American people deserve to know the facts and the truth so they can make their own decisions. Uh, thank you very much, sir. We appreciate it. God bless you. and uh, God bless America. And have a great one. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, there's some very critical information uh, in the show. Please uh, share it with your networks and your family. 
the show will be published on all of my social media channels, Twitter at Rob Manus, Gab at Rob Manus, Parlor at Rob Manus, Telegram, The Rob Manus Show, uh, and, and all of the others on Facebook is at COL Rob Manus, which you may be watching now, and The Rob Manus Show has a page, uh, and then, of course, my personal profile. Uh, we will get it out there on the website, robmanus.com. If you want to bypass all that social media stuff, subscribe to that website for free. Uh, you can get an ad blocker. There are ads on there. We have to raise revenue to run the thing. Uh, so uh, an ad blocker works. I actually use, self, uh, use Gab's uh, uh, browser. It's called dissenter.com. It works with uh, Google Chrome and it works very effectively. Uh, to uh, filter out uh, sites that have too many ads uh, when you see them. Uh, so please go there and subscribe to robmanus.com. Then you don't have all this other social media stuff and people that could censor the facts and censor the truths. Until next week, I'm Rob Manus from The Rob Manus Show. Thank you so very much for joining us today, ladies and gentlemen.